Hey everybody, welcome back to the Square Triangle, a without context podcast show, and it is just X and I tonight. Uh, Deca has other things going on, so we are going to be here talking about AEW's, uh, fuck, Full Gear. Full Gear 2023. I, have, I had Survivor Series on the mind, because that's next weekend, uh-huh. and it's a very busy week. Uh, we have Thanksgiving this week, so we're trying to record this on like a Tuesday night out of our normal recording block. And then over the weekend, we have to watch Survivor Series. And yeah, it's gonna be a gonna be a fun time. It's oh, yeah. that it's that time definitely. of year where we're back to doing a lot of these episodes after you know a month or so of not doing one. But uh, yeah, we're gonna be talking about AEW's Full Gear, which I think in general was a pretty good show. I mean, it's standard fare for AEW shows. Um, yeah, this one one thing AEW doesn't do, they don't skip on pay-per-views. And uh, this was a really solid effort from them tonight. Yeah, and there are particularly two matches in the show that have a lot of people talking, and it seems to be on, like, both sides of the spectrum. Uh, whether it's, like, this is the worst match, or, like, this is the best match, or this was a smart booking decision, or this was a bad booking decision. So we'll get up to all that. Uh, but we're going to jump right into this and talk about the pre-show, which gave us uh, three matches to start off the night. We started with Jay Lethal, Jay Lethal versus Eddie Kingston for the Ring of Honor World Title. A uh, pretty fun match to start us off. I always like seeing Eddie Kingston uh, on a pay-per-view and everything. <clears throat> and um, yeah, this was just a fun uh, Ring of Honor match, which I feel like Ring of Honor has kind of been relegated to the pre-show like promotion for AEW. It's kind of like their NXT now, it feels like. Yeah, it just does feel like Ring of Honor is more of their developmental territory now because I guess they got a lot of up-and-coming talent that they're using yeah. down there. And a lot of guys that they don't necessarily use on AEW television, so they're just down there right now just, you know, guess they're doing what they need to do. Yeah. Uh, So we have... uh. Jay vs. Eddie, uh, a lot of history here and just Ring of Honor history. Uh, Jay Lethal, a big uh, component of Ring of Honor's early years. And some of the things uh, that made this match way more fun than I think it would have been is we had Stokely on commentary. Uh, Stokely is the figurehead of Ring of Honor, like in storyline right now. He's like their general manager or something like that. And, he, and they, just, they did portray him as having some serious bias against Eddie Kingston, which yeah, pretty much goes on for the whole match. Yeah, he just, he's a, yeah, he's just shit-talking Eddie. He's cheering on uh, Jay Lethal. And, uh, I mean, we talk about it every pay-per-view. Like, a crowd will make or break a pay-per-view. But this crowd was hot even during the pre-show. Like, Eddie Kingston is so over with the AEW crowd. It's absurd. Um... One of the, I think it's just, he is that guy who just shows up to wrestle. Like, he doesn't think, he's one of the guys that feels like wrestling is not fake to him. He's here to beat the shit out of you. Oh, yeah. Uh, I only, someone needs to tell him and remind him that wrestling is still a scripted show because he just comes out and he just gives everything. Okay. He just, uh, he comes out, it's real to him still. So, yeah, it's, that's the it's kind real of what legitimizes him with the crowd. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, I love Eddie Kingston. Uh, I there was a few funny moments in here. It wasn't a long match. It was just basically like the show starter. Uh, when they shake their hand at the start of the match, like it's very brief instance, Eddie like wipes his hand off 
after shaking Jay's hand, he like wipes it on his jeans. Which is either subconscious or like just a really funny like character uh moment for Eddie. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a moment of Eddie chopping Jay's chest and he went over to Jeff, Jared, and Sanjay Dutt to like examine it because it hurt him so bad. Which is great <laughs> work from uh Jay Lethal there. Uh but as always with Jay Lethal, he has Jeff Jarrett with him. And there's a number a numbers game. And then we get Ortiz coming out. And they're building back on Ortiz and Eddie Kingston's history, where it seems like after his feud with Santana is finally done, he's back in Eddie's corner, uh, at least for the time being, it seems like. So that was a nice little return uh, at the start of the show. Yeah, I guess that's going to be a developing thing going forward. Um, I guess we're going to see exactly where this goes between Ortiz and Eddie Kingston. Yeah. And if Ortiz actually might want to take a crack at Eddie Kingston in his championships, but who knows? Yeah, I mean, Ortiz, uh, I think they can start proving that they're a great singles wrestler. Uh, I like Santana and Ortiz, but if these guys legitimately just don't want to be a tag team anymore because they have different goals in mind, it's probably best to get them started on their singles run. Yeah, I think Santana has, you know, some potential. You know, I think he can be a good, solid star with the company, whether it be Ring of Honor or AEW, but only time can tell. Yeah. Uh, So that was a fun little opening match, and then we get into a match that I did not know was going to be on the pre-show uh, because of stuff that happened on Collision. Uh, I don't have cable at the house. I get all my stuff from Twitter, and I watch highlights, and I watch the pay-per-views when they come out. So I follow up on things, but I don't get the chance to actually watch it. But right. we get this gem of a match between Claudio and Buddy Matthews. And this is just like the wrestling match, I think, of the pre-show. Uh, this was the hard-hitting match. These guys are great. Like, individually, these guys are great. And I'm f- glad that we're finally being able to see them, like, show people what they can do. You know? Uh, we didn't get a lot of this when they were both in WWE. They had moments like Claudio was the hot tag, like moment of his tag team matches. But for the most part, they never really got to those heights that I think they are fully capable of reaching. Yeah. And on top of that, um, I'm just kind of a little interested in maybe a future Blackpool Combat Club versus House of Black feud. I think it's definitely building to it. Maybe this is the baby steps towards the start of that because of how that match ended, but I'm interested because, I mean, these two guys, they work so well together, okay? They really did. It was a solid, fluid match. Yeah, we, uh, so it starts off really strong. I mean, Buddy's a great striker. Claudio is a great, just European wrestler. He has Uh, the best European uppercut in the business. He does. Uh, there is a moment where I think it's when Buddy goes to the outside. He seems like he may have pulled something. Uh, it might not have been extensive damage, but it did seem like he probably tweaked a muscle or something. Because uh, I think from here the match slows down a bit with like the chokehold uh, exchanges that they do to each other. Like somebody will have one in a chokehold, and then they'll reverse it, and then they'll reverse it again. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like the match kind of slowed down very briefly in the middle. But then when Claudio gets control back, it's just strike after strike after strike, just upper European uppercuts. It's just like everything from Claudio's arsenal. And then Buddy Matthew got himself. He got a few knees in, I believe. So, uh, yeah, he was a good knees. Um, 
there was the moment of the Meteora being countered into the Giant Swing, which uh, I love seeing the Giant Swing. I love some of the characters in AEW when they take it. Like we mentioned it when our Discord when we were watching, just like when Ricky Starks is taking the swing, you'll find time yeah, to pose in the middle of it. Like pose mid swing. It's those yeah, that, little character moments. It's those little character moments, you know. And you get all of these little character moments throughout this pay per view, also, you know, because I mean, the thing about these guys on this roster is they don't really skimp on the chance to get a character moment in, yeah. you know, or build little details that make a match a lot more watchable. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. definitely, uh, there's definitely a lot more freedom in terms of how they portray themselves. Yeah. Uh, we have a great moment of a transition from like the powerbomb pin like situation where they powerbomb for the pin into a jackhammer into a crossface, which was just Claudio, I guess, just showing off a bit. Uh, if I remember correctly, he was the one that did that to Buddy. Should probably put names on each of these whenever I yeah. take my notes here. <laughs> um, but then we have Claudio winning with a figure four. And there's like a moment of tension after the match where Claudio like extends his hand because, you know, he's like Buddy Matthews can you know, fight and everything. So it's like, that's the Blackpool Combat Club's kind of thing. But Buddy shrugs him off, kind of bumps him on his way out, and me and you were both like, I hope this builds to Combat Club and House of Black feud, because that's like, I think the one trio's feud we haven't really focused on yet. Yeah, Yeah, I think we're taking baby steps toward that. And um, when that feud eventually gets going, I think it's going to be one for the... I think it's going to be a classic. Um, I I can't I don't know I need to look at their cage match history I don't think Brody King and John Moxley have been in a ring together. If they have, I don't remember. If it had, it had to be years ago. Um, it had been ages ago. But I want to see what those two can do to each other because they kind of fill the same role I think on their team. Uh, where you have like Danielson who's kind of the striker, you have Claudio who's just more of the technical wrestler, so you can kind of put those side by side to Malachi and. It, buddy but they just have these bruisers of like fighters and i think brody and moxley can fill those roles yeah moxley's kind of like the brawler slash grappler of the group yeah okay actually is really good at technical wrestling by the way yeah i um, think uh, we saw a little bit yeah we saw some of that uh uh later in the night too which was surprising then we have the ring of honor tag team title match which i think this is the second show I think it was all in where MJF had to wrestle on the pre-show and then the main card. Mm -hmm. uh, If I remember correctly. And this is MJF and Samoa Joe, his partner who, you know, if he helps him or if they win or if he helps him, he'll get a title title opportunity down the line. And this match, the ending of this match had me think that maybe they would put Joe into the main event later in the night, but they didn't. And we'll talk about it because I do think they might have overbooked the night starting from here, at least in terms of this storyline. Well, at least well, at least in the main event, but we'll get into that later because I got a few thoughts about that myself. Yeah. So this match has Joe and MJF kind of being partners, but also kind of arguing with each other, egos getting in the way. Uh, Joe the sidesteps. They coexist. Yeah, the Kande coexist storyline that we always see. Uh, mm-hmm. Joe does his sidestep to a drop kick this time, like just a standing, like a standing drop kick. Is just he does his walk away spot, so one of the guns misses it. Uh, 
I put a note that anytime I see Joe hit an Enziguri, I'm just always surprised because just his size, he shouldn't be able to move like that, but he but he can. So it's just one of those things that always surprises me. Yeah, I mean the dude moves like a cruiser. I mean he's but he's always been this way. I mean I he's started watching this way. Some old, yeah. He's always been this way. Like I've started watching some more with Joe in two thousand five, you know, during the old TNA days when they were on like Fox Sports or FS1, yeah. one of them. And uh I was shocked when I saw it. I was like, how is this guy that big moving like a cruiserweight? Yeah, it's deceiving at times, like just his yeah. size and his like his agility is legendary almost. Yeah. Uh we got the classic ass boys chant came back uh for the crowd, which was pretty funny to hear again. It's been a while since we've heard ass boys. Yeah. Uh and the ending of this match I is by a distraction of Adam Cole returning. Not cleared to wrestle, but he's there. He comes out. Uh, MJF is excited, and Joe chokes out Colton Gunn to win the match. And from here, Joe just kind of leaves. He's like, okay, cool. I got my title shot down the line. Uh, but MJF is then attacked by the guns. This is continuing from Rampage or Collision. I can't remember which one. Where MJF, I think it was collision. I think MJF attacked uh, Juice Robinson, dropped the TV on him uh, to take him out of the picture. Kind of trying to narrow down the numbers. We have since learned that Juice Robinson had an injury. This is their way of writing him off uh, for a little while. Uh, but he's attacked by the guns. He's taken to a hospital after they do a bunch of chair shit to his leg, and he begs Adam Cole to not let them take the title because he has to defend it. And this Good is a character moment. This is part one of three of this story arc going into the night. Uh, it made me interested for the rest of the pay-per-view because this is the pre-show and the world champion who is the main event is not there. So I was like, OK, let's see. How this goes, So I was invested at that point to see where this yeah. is all going. Yeah, and I, I guarantee you they probably did that to try to boost the um buy rate for the pay per view. Yeah, because even I said don't I was like, really this know is... what's gonna happen when you do that, but yeah, we were in oh. Discord and I was like, I what a hell of a way to end a pre show! What a ballsy way to end a pre show, you yeah. know? Because uh, you know, because we're used to pre shows just like you know being the standard matches, you know, no storyline, you know, just you know go out there get the crowd warmed up. And then we get this, and it's like, oh, okay. So we're actually using the pre-show to build story here. Yeah, it's, I like it. It's awesome. Uh, so yeah, that's all the pre-show, and the pre-show ends with Adam Cole trying to figure out like what he's going to do. We then get into the first match of the pay-per-view proper, which is a hype little trios match. I think a great way to start the actual pay-per-view. I don't know where this match would have fallen uh, on the card. Uh, at some point, like this match just starts off the whole thing hot. Uh, we have the trios match of Christian, Luchasaurus, and Nick Wayne versus Darby, Sting, and Adam Copeland. Oh, by the way, uh, Christian Cage, Luchasaurus, and Nick Wayne—they have a group name now. It's called the Patriarchy. Yeah, Christian Cage is doing some great character work. It's this is wild. The, this is the best one of his career. If this is going to be his last one of his career, he is making every bit on it. Yeah, it. That's incredible. Uh, so they come out. They it's Christian. 
his muscle and his arrogant little henchman in Nick Wayne. His but, son. His son. So and then we get a great little intro visual of three bats under a spotlight. And then when the lights come on, it's Sting, Darby, and Adam and Adam all in matching like white coats like edges. We call him Edge or Adam. Adam, I'm gonna flip between those because everybody knows him as Edge. I've uh, been calling him Edge since 1998, so you're gonna have to pardon yeah. me if I don't call him Adam Copeland. Uh, so they're all in matching coats that are very reminiscent of Edges. Edges rocking okay, face half the face paint. They look like the a, they look like a team. Like it's a great team. I think I posted in the uh, Discord, the group chat for seeing the picture. It's like the father, the son, and the Holy Ghost. Because <laughs> Edge and Darby look very similar. Yeah, and you just have Sting like walking around the back. <laughs> it's like the father, the son, and the Holy Ghost <laughs> of anti-hero of like they're they're heroes. Like they're the heroes of this storyline right now against Cage, the dark hero, so to speak. Yeah. Uh. I just put a note here, just Darby is fucking nuts. Like this, mm-hmm. this man's like, I'm wrestling, I'm taking these bumps, I'm being choke slammed onto the apron, I have to climb Mount Everest tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, because, <laughs> like, um, yeah, like, yeah, Lucha Soros, he basically, he, he basically hit Darby with a wild choke slam where Darby yeah. kind of hits his ribs on the, the apron and he just twirls outside. And I'm like, <laughs> I put in my nose, this guy's not gonna, he's gonna be in a wheelchair by 40 years old. I mean, I see this coming. What gets you me know? is like somebody pointed out like this man take this man falls like he takes hits and falls like a family guy family guy cartoon. He does. Like it's and just it's the most ridiculous like process of him hitting stuff and then hitting the floor. Like it's just that kind of feeling. Uh, this match is chaotic in just all the best ways. We have Ric Flair at ringside. He had come out to support Sting's team. Uh the kind of underlying story of this match, though, is getting Adam and Christian into the ring together. And Christian is adamant to not do that. <laughs> Anytime a tag is made, he'll tag out. If it is him and Adam, he booked it out of the arena. Every time he yeah, every time Adam even glared in Christian's direction, he would run the other direction. Which tells me that they're saving this for later. They're draw, they, are, where to, they are drawing the feud out in the best way because the moment that he can get his hands on Christian, it's going to be great. Like then the, the crowd's going to go nuts when this match happens. And I the think crowd that's was the, hot. the crowd was hot was when hot. they were in the ring together. And then Christian yeah. was like perfect heel, like, nope, tagging somebody else in. Like, he, so good. He avoided Adam Edge like the plague. Okay. And this is good because. You're gonna save. They're gonna save this match for somewhere down the line. I don't know if it's gonna happen at World's End or at some point next year at Revolution. Who knows? But they are definitely building a story with this, and they're just gonna let it. They're just gonna milk it for as long as they can before they have to actually put the match on. Yeah, so and I, I can't that wait. was a good move. I want it to this be. A, I want it to be a cage match. You know, make so yeah. Christian can't get away. Just let these two guys have their final like storyline concluding in a in a cage it would just be just a great like just moment because uh, i know we get we get blood and guts matches with AEW and steel cage as far as steel cage matches goes but i can't remember the last good you know one-on-one cage match that they put on 
I think it was, it was like Cody and Wardlow or something like they that. They had the Cody, they had the Cody and Wardlow, and then they had the Kenny Omega match against Moxley, where he almost tore his scrotum when the uh, oh yeah yeah. So they've had they have not overplayed cave uh, cage matches. They have saved them for feuds that deserve them. They and saved I them am, for uh, feud enders. I am fully believing that we will get Hangman Swerve three in a cage. Like I it think that I think that will, this is one of those feuds that I feel like that's the payoff. Just you two, you can't escape each other. Have at it. Like uh, we'll get to that match though. That match was definitely oh, I'm ready one to of the talk match of the nights. Um, we had a great moment of Ric Flair getting nutshotted by Christian, which is a callback, I think, to 2020. 2020 uh, Ric Flair nutshotted Christian in the yeah, uh, so nice little callback. Uh, and after the match, uh, Darby gets on the mic. He thanks LA. This is Sting's probably the last time wrestling in Los Angeles. I mean, this. This is Sting's, you know, farewell tour. All these uh, matches and events that he's going to. My childhood. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of, it's a legend of 40 some odd years, you know, who's finally, you know, retiring, finally. Man, when I was 10 years old, I had his WCW Sting card, and I swear I wish that I kept it to this day. Do you remember they had, like, the wrestling card game? Yeah. Like, I remember I thought about that a few days ago. I was like, I had a few of those cards. Yeah. And it was like yeah, you had you had your wrestlers and then they had a bunch of moves that had like screen caps of like an episode. And it's like actual like a card game for wrestling. Yeah. And on top of it, like they said, they had the card games and then they had, you know, the collector's cards, you know, because I had my had them when I was a kid. They WCW. I think yeah. WWE had some, but I'm not sure, though. But yeah, uh, I know yeah. and it was like Nitro. I think it was WCW that had the card game like it was all there. Yeah. Uh, stuff. Uh, so I love this match. Uh, this was definitely one of the more enjoyable. Like, if you just want to introduce somebody to wrestling, but you don't want to get them invested in like a long story, just be like, these two guys have been friends for a while. They just kind of hate each other. Uh, and then show them like this match. You know, this like is the, it's the perfect launching point for a new wrestling fan. It's like these guys. Yeah. They've had history. They got really long history, and they're gonna have a match soon. But you know you're gonna they're gonna go over it over time. So yeah, uh, between after this match we get our first little story. We get our first like storyline update. Uh, MJF is injured. Jay White is excited. He has the belt. He's feeling like they're going to just give it to him by default. Which I have been seeing the argument, just kind of spoiling the main event. Uh. MJF comes back, Jay White loses. Uh, people, I'm seeing the argument that this whole thing was overbooked. You did not have to, because why bring Adam Cole back to arrive in the tag team match, not have him there, and then it's like, oh, it, it, he's not cleared to wrestle, but then it's like, Tony Khan says he's cleared to wrestle for the world title. Like, it's just one of those things. I understand the argument. Well, I think this moment this little segment here also solidifies something about Jay White's character, because I've been seeing arguments saying that Jay White losing was like a character assassination and there's no recovering from this. I don't think it was. No, not in the least bit. It is not because this proves 
he just wants the title by any means possible. He doesn't want to have to fight for it. He'll try to cheat for it. He's slimy. People, people think that, you know, people think that, you know, everybody, these heels are supposed to be like these monster characters that just fight with honor and none of that shit. No, Jay White is a slimy heel. That's what he, he stole does. the belt. He Let's stole say, the belt. The whole storyline is necessary. Yeah, the whole storyline is Jay White is trying to be champion without earning it. And He's I think this heel. segment is another little thing on there, but people aren't seeing the nuances of that storyline. Yeah, are, are we are we just not are we just not recognizing that heels are supposed to do things like this in pro wrestling? Because that's how it was growing up. You know, there's, that's what they do. There's a two spec like there's the two ends of the heel. There's the I want everything without having to fight for it or earn it. And then there's the other end of the heel that's Swerve Strickland, and we'll get to him. <laughs> like we'll get to that one shortly. Uh, but so, the second match of the night. The second match of the night is Orange Cassidy versus Moxley 2 for the international title. Uh, the little, the little fireworks. Like I think we both just, we just always laugh at Orange Cassidy's little two lazy yeah, like, pyros that go off. Because like every time he comes out, he gets like one pyro, and then it's delayed. Like as he's walking down the ramp, the second one just goes off. Like this is a good touch to his character because it just shows that he's still aloof. Even though Orange Cassidy has been getting a lot more serious lately, and has been getting a lot more aggressive. Yeah, this match this match serves as a redemption arc for him, and uh, I thought this was solid. Yeah, uh, some again, just another note: the crowd's been hot all night. We've had these five matches going into it from pre-show on, and they've just been happy to be there. LA is a great wrestling town. Uh, Got a lot of history there. Definitely. Uh, Mox comes out with a bandaid on his head, and we were like, hmm. That's weird. That's probably for blading. Yep. What's the over under on him bleeding under 10 minutes? Uh, yeah. So it was like the moment he like the bandage comes off, he just starts bleeding. And we're like, OK, yep. yep. He did it before the match started. <laughs> or who knows? Maybe it's some other shit from a night before that I didn't see. Maybe something on but, collision or rampage. I don't remember. Yes, I don't have cable, so I just watch all my shit on twitter I mean, or clips like because <laughs> I, I was out saturday night when collision was on so i didn't get to catch it unfortunately uh this the story of this match is orange cassidy just this moxley is orange cassidy's skill check boss if you're a dark souls player he is the first boss that you have to get good or you will not get to the rest of the game <laughs> which is why i Thank don't you. play from software games because i always fail the skill check bosses <laughs> I cannot beat any of the first major bosses in any Souls game to save my life. So. Yeah, they can be they can be major pains in the asses. It's not just so it, it, it's primarily the Souls games. There's some other games as well that they have those kind of bosses. Yeah, it, you know? I mean Armored Core has has one too. That's just like okay, well I'm not going to be able to beat this boss. So, so I'm just going to put this down and go do something else. Yeah, so but, Moxley's the skill check boss, uh, and this whole match is just him. Honestly, just no selling like Orange Cassidy's offense most of this match. It's actually and, and pretty funny. Enough, and oddly enough, it's also Moxley doing a lot of technical wrestling, which I have not seen him do. And I don't I can't even remember the last time Moxley did that much technical wrestling. And he's really good at it. So this yeah. is a new layer of John Moxley we've seen. He's showing that he can brawl, he can wrestle. It's just like he 
you can do either or depending on the opponent. Yeah. Uh, this was very, this kind of felt like a, uh, it was just one of Mox's moves. It's like the release suplex that he does. Where he'll like lift him into suplex position and it's just like chuck him. And just like chuck him forward and yeah, chuck him forward and they just land. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of uh, my favorite moves. Moxley starts taunting him. Uh he gets hit, but he just no sells it like the whole time. It's like just telling us like you can't hurt me. So and it's just he's bleeding. Uh there's a lot of back and forth in this match. Uh but OC is showing a lot more fire. Uh, than he normally does. He's really putting it all into this match. And then we get the turnbuckle uh, coming, o- coming off uh, when he pulls Orange Cassidy away. And at this point, the mm-hmm. crowd is hot for this match. Like, the crowd is into this match. Uh, he hits, what, six orange crushes? Or orange punches? Six orange punches. Six orange punches, and it staggers Moxie enough that he's actually looking, like, the wrong direction, like, trying to fight. <laughs> Because so, uh, when, when when this started happening, I was like, okay, so we're probably going to end this match in like a Brock Lesnar Roman Reigns type fashion, where he just they just start you know hitting each other's uh, oh he all starts hitting his finisher multiple times, and Moxley's just like oh, come on. And, but we did mention that the turnbuckle cover uh, cover came off. The turning point of this was when Moxley was pushed in to the turnbuckle uh, by Orange Cassidy, like twice. Like twice, dazed him a bit. He took a lot of orange punches, and then he hit a beach break. I think is the the uh, one move that he does. Yeah, the beach break. And he actually takes the pin, and Orange Cassidy retains the title. Not clean, quote unquote, but it is kind of like that redemption story of I finally beat Moxley. But it is showing that side of Orange Cassidy that I will do what I need to to hold on to this title. And I'm really curious to see where Orange Cassidy goes from here. I hope that wasn't just a one-off thing and they just start developing that with his character more, where he just becomes a little more sinister in how he conducts business in the ring, where he will just start, you know, cheating here and there to keep the title. What was, I think what's going to make it, I think what's going to make it hard is that I don't think the crowd's ever going to treat him as a heel. They won't, because like, I mean, he's a beloved character, but at the same time, it just, I don't know. I like taking characters like this and doing some twisted stuff with them. You know, things will produce some really interesting results. Yeah. Uh, post-match, the feud feels like it's going to continue, because uh, as they're leaving, Yuta purposely bumps Hook. There's a little bit of a face-off with Hook and Wheeler Yuta. And I feel like the feud's going to continue a bit. I don't think Blackpool Combat Club is making a lot of friends, but it's definitely starting to feel like early AEW where the locker room wants to tear itself apart. Like all the factions, everybody's crossing over in feuds. It's just, it feels like that chaotic, like early mess of AEW that I love. Yeah, because, um, because the Blackpool Combat Club and early AEW, that was basically the inner circle where they were just going around making enemies left and right. I mean, there was. I went back and I watched the whole segment of Inner Circle jumping the pinnacle and the dressing rooms. That was some fun stuff. And I was like, and then we had like the brawls where it's like, oh, the elite comes out to, or Kenny and Moxley are fighting, and then the elite come out, and then this other group comes out because they hate the elite, and it's just everybody's like brawling with each other. It's like, it feels like the locker room has legitimate hate with each other. And I like it when it's this chaotic mess of everybody like getting involved it's like that with the tag division 
like FTR was uh being uh, FTR was being out there with uh Ricky and Big Bill and then House of Black showed up and then LFI showed up and just everybody started brawling and a massive tag team brawl and it's just like I like this I like it when the locker room like I love it when all these feuds and stories like cross over in ways that just make sense because they all are always together it's not happening it's not in a vacuum it's just it's all in a single connected somehow and then they much make it work where you know these teams are going to fight, but then these two teams are going to fight, and then they end up fighting each other, and then we just have fights all over the place. Yeah. It's a chaotic mess. I it love it. Cha- I, yeah, I love the that for like first year AEW, like chaotic feeling that was going on. You just get the feeling, what the hell is going on with all of these guys in this locker room? This has got to be the most dangerous spot. This has got to be the most dangerous place outside the NXT parking lot. You know what yeah. I mean? Because so, everybody uh, gets injured in the parking lot somehow. That's true. Uh, after this match, we have the announcement. Uh, Tony Khan has made it official. Adam Cole versus Jay White for the main event. Uh, Adam Cole is still injured. So what's going to happen? Is he going to cost MJF his title? Is that going to be the start of their little breakup? We'll have to see. We move to a low point of the night, I think, for me. That's just because of the result. We move on to the Tony Storm Karushita uh, match for the AW's women title. Not a bad match. It had funny spots in it, and it went on just enough that it needed, I guess, to get the point across. I This back and forth with this woman's title is not, I think, doing it any favors. Because she had just won. She had just won it, like, what, two months ago off of Soraya? uh, yeah, because it was um AEW, I think's two hundred episode, or I believe it was a couple of months ago. And yeah. um so she run won it off Soraya and now two months later we have Tony Storm wins the title. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, can we just give Sheeta a meaningful title run? I mean, looking back at it, I think she is one of the, I think she's had the longest reign uh for a women's title in yeah, AEW. She, um because I think her title reign lasted almost a good amount of the pandemic, but they're just not given the AEW that was, women's titles. That was in front of just other wrestlers. It, every yeah. time they've they've given her the belt in front of an audience, she's had it for less than three months. And yeah, I'm and like, I don't think that's- compare that to the men's title, which is oftentimes being held on to for almost an entire year. I'm just like, can we treat the women's title with the same consistency? Yeah, at least six months. That's all I was asking for. Yeah. Maybe 175 half a half days. Half ha- a year. If half a year is the sweet spot for that title, make it that. But giving Sheeta this title twice at like these moments and then just taking it away like a month or two down the line is just not doing it for me in terms of that division. I'm On like, top of that, it's making the AEW Women's World title go the way of the TNT Championship before Christian Cage won it. Yeah, you know, I mean, they corrected course like, there, and they're just like, Christian, hold on to it. Like, for a while. Because, yeah, it bounced around from Wardlow to Christian, to Luchasaurus, I think from Darby. It's like, it was a mess. Uh, but I was just like, can we just put that kind of same energy onto the women's title, at least for a bit? I'm wondering, are they waiting for Jamie Hayter to come back? Are they waiting for Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker to not hate each other? Are they waiting for Chris Statlander to be in the picture? Because we'll get to that match also. 
Like what he really needs to be. Tell me the six month goal for the women's division. I think they're waiting on Hater to come back because uh, yeah. she's still out with her arm injury. And I think she'll be back sometime early next year. We're gonna get another banger out of her between Tony Storm and uh, between her and Tony Storm. I can't wait for that. Yes. Um, because that's kind of how I felt like when Chris Statlander got injured and Jade Cargill was the TBS champion for a while. I think they were waiting on her to get back. They were because um, I think that she was the the pen in for the next champion and because she got injured they're yeah. like let's just so I, give it some more prestige let jade hold on to it and i think this is the story here when jamie hater returns i think she's gonna wind up beating tony storm for the title yeah you know fresh off of her injury and uh i don't know if she'll be a face at that point because i know the crowd loved her before she left you know we miss jamie hater i hope she's I think we well. just kind of yeah. lost track of the women's division yeah. somewhere down the road uh i think everything with the outcasts, like I think they probably broke up too early. I think in throwing jo- uh, Tony Storm in as a singles act, I guess kind of put a weird pace onto things because Soraya and Ruby are still doing stuff. Yeah, but the thing is, you know, I don't think we could. I don't think they could have kept her in the outcast with her doing this wild, timeless Tony Storm gimmick because she's just too yeah. Good I mean, at we it. got they gold right off. We got gold out of it. It's just one yeah. of those things. Uh, it's, it's hilarious. Well, let's get into the match here. Uh, I think we're agreeing. Luther is a great supporting character. I'm glad mm-hmm. he's still with the company. I'm glad he has some kind of TV presence. I mean, these C and D list AEW roster, like I don't want them to not have a job, but finding roles like this for them is perfect. It's like Serpentico. He's the jobber when he's needed, but he'll also unmask and be the jobber. Another, be another <laughs> so jobber. So he he's the guy a that did jobber check. He's the guy that did the what when Samoa Joe was walking away from his dive. I was like, that's Serpentico. Unmasked. Like <laughs> are you kidding me? Uh uh she uh yeah so Luther's great. Uh Sheeta came out wearing the Julia braids. Uh, there has been a lot of talk about Julia in recent times. Uh, I guess they were rumors of her going to the performance center, but then they're like, oh no, she still has a contract. Uh, so a lot of stuff's in the air about her right now for interest. And Nigel was just killing it on commentary for this match. Like he, it really added to like the feeling of this match. Uh, I love Nigel. We were talking about like Nigel McGinnis. This whole night is just great. I don't know how. I don't know why they let him go from WWE. He was such a great commentator. He comes out here now, and I love some of the things Nigel McGinnis does on commentary, especially when it comes to Brian Danielson. Also, like there's yeah. little pot shots he throws at him every now and then. But just, I don't know what I don't know what this building up to. But if it's building up to something, I would look forward to it. But other than that, I just think Nigel's doing an excellent job on commentary. The commentary has improved. The commentary across AEW has improved in general. I think they've gotten into their flow of heel, face, and play-by-play like energies on whatever setup they have. Uh, it's definitely found a stride. Oh yeah, it has. Uh, there's a really cool... There's really fun heel tactics in this match from Tony. Uh, she'll have a shoe like stored down the back of her pants and then she'll try to swing with the other shoe. When the ref's distracted, she'll pull out that other shoe and try to go for, and win for a hit. I was like, that's kind of smart. That's a brilliant uh, character move. It really is. Uh, Sheeta hits a really good question mark kick uh, into the Falcon Arrow and 
just showing again, like Sheeta is a great striker, uh, but I don't think we see that often. And then the ending of the match, which I think some people memed on a bit here. Uh, Tony Storm packs the little tray that carries her necklace and her shoes uh, out on it. She put it into her pants to aid in the hip attack. And then she pins Sheeta with that shit clear in view of the ref. Like it's half out. Like, this, this thing the is fucking, just like hanging out of her ass cheeks at this point. It's like half out the fucking pants. And it's like right in front of the ref. And I'm like, mm, man, they could have just been like, hey, you're not going to pin her like that. And then they draw it out for another five minutes or so or something like that. But I'm just like, you make the ref look like an idiot. It's right there in front of them. Sheena takes like, another it, it, pin. Uh, to lose got, a title right in face. And I'm like, just how the like, hell do you not see that? That was so good until like that because there's no defending that you cannot see that. Like, it's one of things like, you cannot tell me they do not see that. And that's the moment of disbelief where I'm like, God damn it, that just kind of ruins this whole, this whole thing. Yeah, that, uh, that was a bad spot right there. It was an incredibly bad spot. It was also kind of like, sloppy because like they were trying to get the she was trying to get it like adjusted like before the hip attack too. Like she was having a hard time like getting it into place. And I'm like, I don't think they practiced practiced this spot until like mm -hmm. so I think Tony Storm's like winging it at this point and it's he, not either turning Tony's out well. Either Tony has really slippery ass cheeks, and I don't know how the hell you uh I don't know how the hell that happens, but I hey. think we made the thing like how it just the size of like her thighs and everything. I'm just like, why is like most of her body weight like in her legs? Like it's just what kind of like the thighs and the hips. I'm like, how do you, what do you work out to get like that? Like it's insane. I don't know what she is, but she's doing a damn good job of it anyway. Yeah. So uh, she loses, loses the title. I'm kind of okay. salty. I'm kind of salty about that. I'm like, I just want her to have like a meaningful reign in front of, in, a, in front of a crowd. Look, the benchmark for the women's title should be at least five or six months. Okay, give some. Yeah, I mean, shit. They do. They book the TBS title like that. I mean, Chris Statlander had it for like what? Hundred something days. Uh, yeah, she she had it for quite some time. Yeah, some time. Like that should be the benchmark for a woman's title, at least a bare minimum six months. Yeah, at least. So I think to me, like this was the probably like the low point of the night. It was still a great match. And it's not something that's like, uh, if this was removed, then the quality of the pay-per-view like increases. Like, it's still a good match. I just, it's definitely the weakest match of the card for just a lot of small reasons. Yeah. And then we just go right back into chaos as we get the uh, four-way ladder match for the AW Tag Team Titles. Uh, LFI, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the actual name. The Kings of the Black Throne, who are representing House of Black. Uh, FTR and Ricky and Big Bill in a ladder match. You already know how crazy this shit's going to go. And there were some spots in this match that were nuts. Yeah, uh, they, they, I didn't take too many notes for this match because this is just too much to keep up with. Yeah, you, we can't really take notes for these four way title matches, but I just kind of marked down like spots that I liked. Uh, I think this match did what it needed to do. I don't think it overstayed its welcome. I don't think it was too short. But considering the matches we have on this pay-per-view, like I think this would be the most forgettable of the matches if you were to try to like recall this pay-per-view in like a year. Oh yeah. 
because there's eight, one eight. match that just this pay-per-view is going to be remembered for one match yeah yeah and i mean it's 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 like it's this this match is like this is wrestling this is old school wrestling back and a lot of people have feelings about it and we'll talk about those feelings but well uh, one thing i do remember from this tag match is um at one point there was brody and big bill in the ring they squared the up crowd finally beat. the crowd and, got and hot they, for it and then the FCR broke it up and the meat chance broke out the meat chance the meat chance broke out and then that early first the first kind of square up in the match ftr broke it up crowd hated that they wanted to see these two i think uh, AEW needs more super heavyweight matches on their cards the, the we, crowd just loves that shit for some and you reason. have they, it man you have toa leona you have brian cage yeah. you have hobbs you have miro you have brody like you got the you got the guys for it they just need more super heavyweight matches i what i would do to see another brody miro match like down the line Oh yeah. Uh, uh, Rush and uh, Cash have a great comedy spot in this match where they're both climbing up. They see each other, and they climb back down and they move the ladder <laughs> aside, and then they start beating the crap out of each other. And I was like, it's just like the comedic timing because they're both going up. They like lock eyes, and then they both start going back down, and they both equally like move the ladder out of the way. <laughs> it's like, oh, we, oh yeah, we're doing this. I don't okay, know why, so. but that I don't know why, but that made me laugh. That, so that was much. very cartoonish, but it was funny. Uh, then everybody gets a dive, uh, to the outside, and then Ricky, who was it, Ricky that did? Uh, somebody did a moonsault, I think, off, or somebody jumped off the top onto everybody after all the suicide dives. I can't remember what the exact order was. I just remember Brody killed somebody with a Gonzo bomb onto a ladder. Yeah, uh, that much. we had the Dax swinging the ladder around spot. Uh, we had Rush faking a charge and then just straight up kicking Cash in the corner, which was pretty funny. Uh, it's just Cash and Rush had a lot of little moments together uh, in this match, and I kind of want to see if a feud like there uh, goes somewhere. Uh, there is the moment of them trying to run and he bounces the ladder off the ropes. <laughs> to hit uh to hit cash as he's trying to charge him which was a pretty good move from malachi uh we have malachi taking the pile driver onto the ladder yeah which was a crazy spot and then yeah we have a surprisingly out of all of the men in this match brody's the only one that got busted open and i think it was just from one of the when he tried to dive a guy, he dove out to hit somebody while they were holding the ladder. And I think that's what busted him open. And that's what cracked him open. He's the only person in Smash, I guess, blood. Yeah. And it's just a great visual, too, because, yeah, then he picks up Jalistico and just, just basically him kills him bomb. through a tape, through yeah, a ladder. He, yeah, he gonzo bombs him onto a ladder and he just absolutely kills him. So you don't think you see him the rest of the match because it doesn't break the ladder so like they they kind of bounce off but brody lays there and then i think cash goes up and frog splashes him onto right. the ladder <laughs> uh everybody gets taken out and then ricky and big bill retain the titles just a very typical uh ladder match finish i'm surprised i'm actually kind of happy that they kept it on Ricky and Big Bill. I think it's just like, no, we're not going to make you guys transitional champions. We're going to let you guys have a run. 
Yeah, they're letting them cook. Now, you know, I like the combination of Ricky and Big Bill, you know. Did you uh, see the uh, eat, eat off each other? Did you see the media scrum where they were or they were interviewing Big Bill? And he was talking mm-hmm. and uh it just shows like they don't tra- these guys don't travel together much because AEW is way more relaxed on their travel schedule. They don't have a lot of house shows and stuff like that. A lot of their stuff is just live shows. Uh he points out that he's engaged to Lexi Nair. Who's like the backstage interviewer? He just kind of and gives Ricky didn't like, know that, and like Ricky gave him like a, huh? like a little look, and then he's just like giving him like, 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 wow, really, man? It was just a really funny moment in the media scrim, and like, just Ricky is so expressive with everything. Uh, but I love these two as a team. I just love their energy together. Yeah, they they got good chemistry with each other. They do. But uh, we're probably we probably haven't seen the end of LFI and House of Black. It seems like BCC and House of Black are getting into something. So I think we're going to just have another chaotic, like, trios, like, feud with a bunch of teams hating each other. You know what, though? But you know what, though? I I really like the idea that uh, they're putting all these factions in multiple feuds with each other. Yeah. But ultimately, I think that's supposed to lead to something. Um, We still have the AEW trios titles where they acclaimed, right? Yes, they were not on this pay-per-view either, which was surprising. Well, no, yeah. they were taken out by the devil. By the, the devil. Uh, at the crew. end of Dynamite, I think. Yeah, uh, but... But one's put through the glass and everything, so they probably were just written off as, you know, recovering. Yeah, but on top of that, you're probably not... Oh, oh you're not going to hear anything else about the devil in this pay-per-view right now. I was surprised. I think for, yeah, so was I, because I thought they were going to... I think I think the reveal is World's End. I think like, so too. And it's just it's weird um because I was surprised like we didn't get any like devil stuff at this pay-per-view which has me curious to who it might actually be. Yeah. Uh So yeah. It makes it seem like it's more Adam Cole because like oh I can't be the devil if I'm here. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, is it Adam? Is it somebody else? So, no. yeah, it's just it's a mystery. And I mean, I'm still curious. It hasn't lost me but yet. So but it's a really good mystery because it keeps us guessing as to actually who this guy is. Now, I I got a couple guesses, but I don't know if either one of them are in the ballpark. So. What gets me yeah. is that I, people are like, AEW doesn't have a story. And I'm like, I. MJF's story right right now is the same story that Jey Uso has started. Like, Jey Uso is copying the MJF story of, fuck, I've made you all hate me. And now it's coming back to bite me in the ass. Because Jey Uso also has multiple enemies that are coming after him. Yeah, so MJF's like, I fucked over Wardlow. Wardlow wants to kill me. I made Joe mad at me. Joe wants to kill me. (laughs) And now this devil character's thrown in, and it's like... MGF has made a lot of enemies and they're just doing the same storyline they're doing with Jey Uso. So it's like, if you like one, the other's fine too. Like it's, it's, it's all there, you know? Uh, so yeah, I'm curious to see where all that goes. I think world's end being a new pay-per-view, I think it's going to be like a big old special event, like season finale kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we then move into another pretty good match of the night. Uh, Statlander, Sky Blue, Julia Hart for the TBS title. This match was not crazy. 
it didn't do anything innovative or it didn't do anything uh too outside the box but i think this match was to set up two things it was to set up julia hart and sky blues continuing story mm-hmm. with the title now being thrown in and to get chris statlander out of that role to start elevating her further I think the TBS title was good for her, but I do think that she belongs in the world uh, title picture. Yeah, I think it's time for her to go into the world title picture herself because um she's been carrying the TBS uh, she carried the TBS championship for a while and uh she did a really good job with it. But uh I think we're getting to the point with Statlander where she really needs to be elevated to the main you know to the main belt because I think we're running a little thin on main event uh main event women. In AEW right now, yeah. I think adding her to the mix would be a. I mean, we lost most of the main event. We lost most of the main event. I mean, where's Britt Ban? Where's Thunder Rosa? Like no they Thunder were Rosa. No Thunder Rosa. Um, you lost Jade, who could have been a main event player. She's uh, in WWE. Um, Soraya's done her time. You know, she's mm-hmm. not probably not going to be elevated back to that position anytime soon. Jamie Hader is out injured. Uh, I mean. Unless you're going to start putting stock into Anna J more. I mean, she's not around much. Ruby's has her own storyline going with Angela Parker, which is one of the better storylines going right now. I kind of love it. <laughs> I kind of love Angela and Ruby. Funny. I kind of love like this old school, like this is a greaser guy and I don't want my friend or my like sister dating this guy because he just looks like a typical like greaser from the 50s. Then you I'm got Soraya and Daddy Magic just trying to keep them apart. I love just those those two's chemistry as like the arguing parties while Ruby and Angelo are there. It's fantastic. It's these little like B stories that I love. Like all the A storylines like take the show, but these little B side storylines that like fill the gaps are so great. Um, but yeah, so I think we just need more women in the main, uh, the world uh, title picture. So stat being moved to that position would definitely help elevate it a bit. She's fantastic in the ring. And then you just have Sky and Julia just, you know, go at it over the TBS championship. Oh, you can throw some other women in. You can elevate some other women into that division, you know, eventually as potential challenges for Julia Hart. Yeah. You know, and once I, this whole business of Sky Blue is done with. Yeah, and I'm wondering where that goes because it seems like they are the same now sky and julia but they're like their goals are different and that's yeah, what it feels like uh under when the character changed like she threw when she came out she new, music, her, yeah, new, new music new music crown cap crown all that stuff there was a moment where like julia was like teasing her like a little like an older sister to a little sister like shaking her like chin and like pinching her cheek and everything like trying mm-hmm. to be like oh you're cute like that's what I was feeling. I'm like, I feel like this is going to be like kind of like two sisters going at it for something now. Uh, and I'm two wondering if that's that hate each other. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that's just like what the mist has done to them because the mist corrupted Julia to this and now it's corrupted sky blue. And we have Willow Nightingale still, you know, off in the distance. Uh, wherever she's been, I think she might be out with an injury. I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. But. Like I said, nothing in this match really was stood out or was innovative. Uh, we do have Chris hitting her finisher, but then Julia kicks her off of Sky to, and takes her out and then pins Sky to win the title, becoming officially the youngest AEW champion in history so far. 22 years and 10 days, I believe. Mm-hmm. 
And I think they're like, what about Rio? And I think it's like Rio was 22 in 10 months. So just, yeah. So I'm happy for Julia. This is well-deserved. Her character work has been great. She's improved in the ring. Everything she's done with House of Black has elevated her from the cheerleader gimmick. You know, it's... She, she's had one hell of a character arc. And the, um, the rookie, the, the, the like rookie years of Julia Hart are over. Like this is her now. This is, this is her veteran years now. This yeah. is where she starts. This is where she starts to elevate. This is where she starts to, you know, evolve into yeah. a championship uh, level performer. And I think she's getting there really quick. Her character work is some of the best in the company right now. Would it be wrong to say that she did the Alexa Bliss change better than Alexa Bliss did? I wouldn't say I wouldn't say better, but you know, more at it, least more a, consistent. A more consistent than she did. Yeah, because Alexa Bliss went from cheerleader to like the mean girl, and then she went to like the weird girl with Bray. Then, but I think, yeah. but it's been so back and forth with everything there, and I think Julia's just like she hit that stride and she just stuck with it. And it, with Julia, it was just more of a natural progression with her. Yeah, after the mist, and I think it was like her idea too. She's like, I want to you know, join this and try it. And she has all these experienced wrestlers around her and Malachi and Buddy and Brody, who Brody and his wife are kind of like her traveling parents when they're on the road together. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, she has all these people watching out for her. She has experienced people helping her. Like the character work is probably collaborative with uh, Malachi to a degree. Oh, I know. I know Malachi and Brody probably give her some input also. So, and it shows she's taken it and she's like, she's taken it and just, it's been fantastic, and this was just this was the time to put the belt on her. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, she pins Sky, wins the title. Uh. And I'm wondering now if we're gonna get a, some more Sky and Julia because I want that right in my veins. Like that is a feud that well, I can I get that behind. Feud, that feud is most definitely gonna continue. Uh. But yeah, there wasn't much to say about this match. I mean, Chris looked strong. Like she was portrayed as the powerhouse of this match, but at the end, it was the the mind, it was the intelligence of Julia that won her the match here. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if they might run back, like Chris and Julia, probably for a rematch. But I hope not. I hope Chris is just like, well, I lost it. Time to go to bigger, better things. Time to go after Tony. Yeah, and her uh, and her new Butler Luther and her super fan Mariah May, which I'm kind of interested in that also. I'm that curious to see where the Mariah May storyline's going. Uh, that, that's gonna that, be that, fun. That that gives me a, like a Trish Mickey aesthetic right now, but less lesbian-y, I guess. Oh, for the fuck. moment, we've been doing this for an hour. We have three matches left. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> the big blockbuster signing, the announcement that Tony Khan made that they will be signing a star. Everybody predicted Will Osprey, and guess what? It is Will Osprey. I am Will not Ospreay. surprised. I would be surprised if it was not Will Osprey. Uh, he is signed to AEW. He is going to finish up his contract with New Japan. Then he will be in AEW in 2024. You know that. You know, in the back of my mind, I had a small. I, I figured there was a small chance that WWE would sign Will Ospreay because they were sniffing around. But I think, I think Tony Khan got wind of it and he whipped out that checkbook faster than Diddy trying to settle a case. So uh, that think, came out. I think what's happening is that people are realizing I can go to W. I can go to AEW and wrestle my way. And put on bangers with people that I never thought I'd wrestle in my life. And WWE and is so isolated 
Yeah. I think it's starting to look more like a prison than a paradise to some people who is like, I just want to wrestle. Why would but I go also, to WWE where I have to, where I can wrestle, but I have to wrestle their way and I have to wrestle the same opponent for six months. Like, see, this is why we have, this is why you need more than one strong pro wrestling company. Yes. Okay. This is the reason why we have these things because variety is the key to this, you know, to this industry being as good as it is. When we had WWE being the singular, you know, the be all end all, the singular they had, they top stopped, of the mountain, they stopped caring, and it was just it became caring. so stagnant. It became the period of '06 to '010. Yeah, where I it, and tell me you can remember superstars from that time period that are not the big names because I can't. <laughs> like you'd be hard pressed not to. Because I, I, I that's remember. where we had that's where we had people like A Train, Schnitzky, uh, Schnitzky. Fucking law, resi- what, law resistance, I think. Also, law resistance. I remember this tag team called the Gemini. They were twins. They only yeah, we had the Gem- went to a live show. Yeah, the Gemini. I think that was the period where we had what Deacon Batista. Uh-huh. Like it was just like it was the weird time of WWE, <laughs> where it's yeah, like shit. Y'all- we have no competition anymore, and we're running out of new wrestlers to find. <laughs> Because there are no competition anymore. And that's the reason why, and then like I said, having more than one strong pro wrestling promotion in this company is good for business. Hell, as a matter of fact, I think TNA might be back on the rise because they just got their name back and they pretty much was coming back on with a fresh start. I thought Will Ospreay would sign with TNA. He was really sucking their dick for a little while at their pay-per-views. Oh yeah, I thought he was too. I was like, they might actually land Will Ospreay. And then it's like, oh, absolutely not. AEW exists. They're going to land Will Ospreay. Why would he not want to wrestle Brian Danielson or Kenny Omega again? Because I can only imagine the amount of match. I can only imagine the the variety of matches Will Ospreay is going to have with everybody on here. So, yeah, uh, yeah. I think this was the best place for him because, you know, he can wrestle his own style. He can stay in the UK and doesn't quite have to move to the U.S., so he can pretty much skip all that ass. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to move to wherever WWE would want you. Yeah, Orlando to, to, mostly. And you'd be on the road 95% of the year. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think anybody wants that schedule. No. I mean, Roman Reigns doesn't want that schedule. Like, and he's their fucking world champion. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it works out for him. It really does. The thing that gets me is that it's like, well, Osprey, it's like, somebody, people are like, oh, another figure for the toy box for Tony Khan. And it's like, yes, I want my shit to be like, I'm going to hit randomize on SmackDown versus Raw, and I'm going to get two random fucking wrestlers, and they're going to go out there and put on a banger. <laughs> like, yeah, but, but the thing is, they, they would be singing his praises if he had signed with WWE. Oh, so people who I hated, feel like the people who hated him would instantly love him when he signed with WWE. That's yeah, why we so hate really the internet wrestling like- community. So that's really disingenuous and hypocritical of these fans to act like that, you know. There were signs just for that. AEW. There were signs for that in this pay per view too, where it was like, uh, people hate like the ICW, and I was like, yes, we hate the internet wrestling community. Yeah, I mean, granted, this show we're part of the internet wrestling community, but I like watching both shows. I'm going to watch Survivor Series this weekend. My friend picked up tickets for Collision. Even though Collision has like the lowest viewer count right now, I'm still going to watch it because, man, more wrestling. <laughs> like, I'm going to go pick up co- tickets for Collision soon. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a small enough arena. So, 
it's close enough mm-hmm. to the house too so it's gonna be great yeah but yeah it's just like as long as i i watch wrestling to enjoy it and if i just get a match that's just randomly put together if i were to get a match that's like phoenix versus drillistico i would be like cool there's no storyline to it but i like these two guys wrestling i'm gonna watch yeah. this <laughs> and the thing is i'll watch it once or twice i'm not gonna watch it for six months straight on the other show how long has this Cody feud with Judgment Day been going on? Three, four months now? A few months now. I'm just like, I'm tired of it. Like, you guys have to change some stuff up. But again, it, it, your roster is not that deep. And that's the thing. AEW has a deep as fuck roster right now. So they will always have surprises. <clears throat> and I don't trust them to know what to do with wrestlers because they fucking fired Swerve. And this man just put on probably match of the fucking year. So this is this this is this, this to me is the true main event of this pay per view. This is match of the year for me too. It, so, it, it, one month to go in twenty twenty three. Somebody this is the match of the year pointed out personally for me. How the fuck are you going to put a Kenny Omega match as the cool down match? Because this because match went that to. hard. <laughs> like because so, this match fucked. That's why. Yes. So we get Hangman versus Swerve oh. too. This is people are like, "What's the story? Uh, this match, this bloody match, doesn't have a storyline." And it's like, you don't watch the show because Swerve broke into this man's it. house. Like this man broke into this man's house, fucked with all of his stuff, left a T-shirt in his kid's crib. Like Swerve was full supervillain going into this, and that's why there's this blood feud between the two of them. Uh. The bell doesn't even the bell. Hangman doesn't even wait for his music. He just straight up hits Swerve with a buckshot Larry to start the match. (laughs) Like, like right off the bat, right off the match. These two are at each other. Uh, I only put like 10 notes here because this match has had so much shit going on. Uh, I'm liking this, this fired up hangman again. This was definitely like world title pursuit hangman. Like it, it, this, this is a much more sinister hangman than we've seen in recent times. Okay, and I think we're reestablishing hangman as a sort of pseudo threat to everybody now. Yeah, because I would, if I was months, if I was a heel, if I was a heel, hangman. I would not want to fuck with hangman. No, like, not now. This man stapled his kid's drawing to Swerve's cheek. I think and that's then, where I put my note. Uh, this match is fucked up in the best ways because. Swerve oh, took yeah. probably 10 or 12 staples into his arms, chest, cheek. And he, he did it to himself. Like, and Swerve was bleeding all over the place. Like, he he was bleeding. Like, remember that match with JBL and Eddie Guerrero with? Yeah. And he took that chair shot and he was just like bleeding all yeah, over the just, like, Swerve is crimson. Swerve is crimson mask like five minutes into this. Yeah. Uh, Swerve is a super villain. Like this match established him as like a super villain. This man put staples into himself because he just enjoyed what was going on. And on top of that, you know, uh, it, this match really showed how unhinged Hangman Adam Page was because right after that spot where he stapled his kid's drawing to his face and ripped it off, Hangman basically takes Swerve by the head, lays down on the mat, and starts right. drinking his blood. Yeah, like he, he lets his blood out of a fucking beer tap he lets okay. his blood pour into his mouth and then we get a shot that's been going around twitter of him like doing the triple h like blow out of his mouth and it's just I, like I, that shot goes hard like, like i don't know when we were watching this i don't know if you could tell but like when i saw this thing i was kind of cringing a bit 
because I was like, what? It was a brutal. Wrong with Eggman? Okay, so I made I made a statement earlier that this was this felt like real wrestling again. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to the seventies and eighties. People thought wrestling was real. If you didn't know any better, but you only knew that this man broke into this man's house, this it started with you don't deserve your title shots, and then it escalated to I'm gonna break into your house. And you were in that 80s mindset of watching these two men brutalize each other, you would be like, that makes sense. Like okay. to illustrate this point, there's a man um there's like an episode of like Sunday Night Wrestling in the WWF back in the 80s. And it's like Rick Root and uh, Roddy Roddy Piper, and like for two hours, they were just going back and forth on this. Okay, and you can just tell that you and you can just and it seems like these two in real life hated each other but we didn't know that at the time that's what this feud feels like this and, uh, feud feels like genuine hatred yeah and it's something that we have missed in wrestling people say oh, i want the good old days back you got the good old days back and you hate it so what do you want like, this is, and like this 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 match had pure shock factor on top of it you yeah, know it's uh we had the fucking he moonsaulted onto him with a barbed wire chair and then he pile drived him on it Swerve hits him with the chair when he's on the turnbuckle. The fucking barbed wire like wraps around his face briefly. Like, yeah, like it could have cut him all up in very people, serious ways. There it's could like... have been very permanent scars from this match. Uh, the glass he pours it onto Hangman's back and then fucking moonsault or moon frog salt. splashes moons like so something onto it and it's just like Jesus, this match is brutal. Uh, and the thing is like. I was like, this is it though. Like this, if they don't go to a third match, like this is the blow off match. Let this carry on to swerve being like, look at me, look what I can do. I'm coming for the world title now. And Hangman could be like, I did everything to him and I still couldn't beat him. And it's like, let's see where that goes for Hangman's story. Maybe he starts to become a little bit more unhinged. Maybe you know? he becomes a lot more sinister and tries to hurt Swerve even more because of that now. Maybe oh, that's yeah. a motivating I don't think, factor. I don't think this feud's over. I think Hangman's going to be off TV for a few weeks and then jump Swerve when there's a match that Swerve like has to win. I think we're going to get like a title, like a a contenders match for the world title. Probably like Wardlow, Swerve, and I think Hangman might cost Swerve. Yeah. And just continue there. It's like, I've ripped your world title opportunity away. You know, like just continue it like in that direction. Yeah, because uh, I think Hangman's gonna have to do something to get Swerve's attention. Because I mean, Swerve is now two and zero against Hangman at pay per views. He basically owns. I mean, I think at this point, Swerve's gonna act like he has no motivating factor to fight Hangman again. But maybe that might be the thing that causes him to do so. If this becomes yeah. one of those long feuds that even if they're not directly feuding, if this just becomes one of those things where these guys are always going to have this animosity, oh. I cannot wait for the future of AEW. Like Swerve is a star. Oh, WWE dropped the fucking ball. And what's Hit Row doing right now? That, that, this, like, after this, like after this match, I said, this is WWE's biggest fumble. They, it they, is. They really is. Because I mean, it killed two things. Like they tried to bring Hit Row back. It wasn't the same. Okay. Swerve's over there just being an absolute superstar now, because now he's main event level talent. He's proved that already. Um, this was a fumble by WWE. They had this guy on their roster and for a period of time. He was a North American champion in NXT. People are mad about this match, too, because of how brutal it was. But I've also seen people mad that Hangman didn't get his win back. And it's like, first of all, only WWE does 50-50 booking. 
Nobody else does. That is something that they've done and it's been to a detriment. But also, Heyman got the shit beat out of him by Brian Cage while Swerve was recovering. So that so. pretty much so that wasn't an entirely Quinn Lee winning in in itself. Here's my thing. Okay, why would people want this match to be 50-50 booked? The whole purpose of this feud is that Swerve is out to take Hangman's spot as a main eventer. Yeah. This makes perfect sense. You're going to get out there. You're gonna, what are you going to do? You're going to give Hangman his win back and kill all of Swerve's momentum going into this? For what? That The whole, whole purpose of this is Swerve is out to take Hangman's spot by any means necessary. And this was a good call for Swerve to go out there and win this match so he will take his spot. This was either get Swerve back into the international title like get some kind of gold on him if it's not his time for a world championship because we still have Joe and Wardlow all tied up into that story so why not just give Swerve and Orange Cassidy a second feud with this new re-energized Swerve Strickland and just have him finally take it off of OC yeah I mean I, I mean, I don't know what people want. Do, they, do you guys want new, you know, main they'll events? Never, do you want never, new stars? Not They'll never be happy. So it's just... So, what uh, you, so just decide what you want at this point because I want new elevated talent. I want new established stars. Yeah. Because uh, the ones we have now are getting up there in years. And it wasn't clean with Brian Cage. So I feel like if we do get three, it will be in a cage. But and... I think if you want to drag this out, feud out a little bit longer, though, I would have Hangman go through the entirety of Mogul Embassy before you get it back to Swerve. Yeah, you know, have Brian Cage, out, have him lay out everybody Gates else. Agony, um, Nana himself and steal his weed. Like, so let's see how to get on Nana because Nana was here in this match. He saves Swerve, and that's where Brian Cage arrives. Uh, and then he tries to he tries to make a deal with Hangman while they're standing outside the ring. There's a table below him. He does this little dance to try to. Like buy himself some time and Heyman just kind of looks at him and it's like, all right, I'll let you go. And it's like, really? No, I won't. And he takes Nana, puts him in a dead eye through the table. <laughs> so and it's just like sort of his little swerve dance to try to like buy time for himself. And Heyman just looking at him and then picking him up into a dead eye was just really funny. <laughs> like, I love Nana so much. He is such a great character, man. But then we have a callback uh, for the conclusion of this match. Hangman hung a moxley to beat him in their feud uh swerve hangs hangman in the corner until he can't fight anymore to win this feud so it was a nice little like reversal here of how adam page won the last texas death match he was in uh but it just shows too like swerve is sadistic now and i'm like continue this continue this like psychopath that kidnapped billy gunn that invaded and adam page's home his fingers that just stapled himself to prove a point uh he was like, also he pointed out he was also I, wearing bray wyatt uh themed pants the uh red striped yeah. so, I, I, nice I little... psychopath swerve like he, he this dude is seriously unhinged like and it really started with the whole billy gunn thing and i'm like i wonder how crazy his character can actually be and now we're starting to find that out yeah so yeah easily match of the night for me easily. Uh, i mean this was great this felt like just old school attitude era shit of just like people just wanting to kill each other it felt real again like this was the kind of match that made me feel like wrestling was real again um nothing's nothing was incredibly choreographed nothing was really like 
when you come to wrestling matches, it's like, oh, we're going to help each other do all this. This felt like just two guys beating the shit out of each other. Yeah, this felt like a blood, a proper blood feud. Okay, yeah. and uh, if they do do a third match, I'm interested in seeing how they probably have to be lights out. This. It has it pro- to be. It had. It probably would have to be like the Champa Gargano, like lights out, just like pull up the ring, DDT you onto wood a few times, mm-hmm. like just completely make it so your opponent cannot fight anymore. It has to be pure chaos in order to end this feud. Uh. Yeah, I mean, it's it was fantastic. And I mean, it obviously is memorable. People are still talking about it. They're either cheering it on or complaining about it, but it is getting people talking. It is in mainstream news right now. Like it did what it needed to do, and it has people talking about AEW. This match, this match served uh, Swerve really well. It made it pretty much made Swerve a superstar, I think, in my opinion. It elevated him into the main event status. So where it's they a, do it, where they go with Swerve from here, I don't know. And that's but, the thing. People are talking about Swerve, like just all the shit that happened to him. But let's remember, like Adam Page drank this man's blood, sprayed it out like Triple H, like did all this shit, caught the barbed wire across the face. This man was a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> like, And then it's just like, this man can just still do like, he, this man can go like this. Like this is them loving their job. Then we get to a cooldown match, which is incredible to say because it's the elite and they're never the cooldown match. Kenny Omega and Jericho in a cooldown match. Yeah, this is the cooldown match. Uh, We have the Golden Jets, the team name of Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho uh, against the Young Bucks. Uh, The Young Bucks kind of being children lately, complaining about Kenny and his new friendship and whatnot. And, and I getting think, booed by their own hometown crowd. Yeah, and this match I think was the setup that if the Young Bucks win, Kenny and Jericho can't tag team anymore, and if Kenny and Jericho win, they get the Bucks uh, tag team title opportunity that they currently have. So that's the storyline going into this. Uh, there's a lot going on in this match just for storyline stuff. There's the Bucks hesitating to hit Kenny, Kenny hesitating to hit the Bucks. Uh, and then just a lot of dirty play comes in. They smash Chris's arm in the steps. Uh, low blows with the refs back to him. Jericho mm-hmm. and Kenny are kind of having some tension because Kenny doesn't want to go too rough on the Young Bucks. And this was probably like a 10 or 15 minute match, I think, if I remember correctly. Uh, There's like teases of betrayal where he like points at Jericho like he's going to hit him with a V-trigger. And, and then, then he, he bounces hits again Jackson. and hits Matt with it. Uh, Kenny takes a one-wing angel, kicks out at two. He eventually hits his on Matt for the win. Uh, and then the Bucks just have a little tamper tantrum. A very uh, Jericho in WCW-like tamper tantrum where they just they start breaking stuff. They start throwing chairs everything. around, and then they oh, post on Twitter. The, they post on Twitter. The, we'll be stepping away for a little while. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and it was, like, one point during that tantrum where I think, Matt, it was it Nick or Matt, they threw a shoe at Excalibur, and he was like, oh, my fucking head. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, could, you could just faintly hear Excalibur say that, because I think he got hit the blast in the head in one of those oh, speaking of Speaking of shoe, uh, during the Tony Storm Sheeta match, didn't one of Sheeta's boots go, like, flying into the audience? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, it's like, I think uh, Tony pulled her boot off, and it, like, she kicked her, but, like, Tony, like, launched her shoe into, like, the crowd. So... Right. The crowd went home with some souvenirs that night. Yeah. They really did. 
I mean, there was so much blood too. Like just Adam's head, I think, when he took the pile driver onto the railing, like busted the top of his head open. So when he like flings his hair back, I think it like flew into the crowd yeah, because, too. Yeah, because after that match, there was like some noticeable chalk on the mats. I guess where they were trying to soak all the blood up from the Yeah, Texas and there was match. still some blood on the ropes during the Kenny and Bucks match uh, that you could yeah. still see. Like they they drenched that match, uh, that mat. <laughs> Uh, yeah, not much to say about this. This was this was so weird because I'm so used to Kenny's matches having like more energy to them, but this was definitely like we're not the crowd has to come down. We're not going to overdo this. I don't think they were going to be able to follow that Texas death match properly, so uh, they they just kind of did a whole standard match. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, not much to say about that. But now Jericho and uh Kenny are. I guess top of the rank for Ricky Starks and Big Bill's title. Mm-hmm. So, not sure where they fit into the tag team picture with all the teams going on right now, but I guess we'll see how that how that all goes. And then we get to the final part of our slightly overbooked storyline for the night. Uh, it is now Adam Cole versus Jay White for MJF's uh, AEW World Championship. As they're coming out to the ring, an ambulance can be heard. And MJF comes rolling back at the start of the match, which I feel is the first of a few bad booking decisions here. Yeah, I understand. Have- I understand Adam Cole is legitimately injured, so they don't want him wrestling. But at the same time, you know, it could have been just like a few minutes of safe wrestling. I guess for Adam Cole. I don't know, but it, it, the funny part to me was they had like 20 people trying to stop MJF from coming to the ring. Yeah. And I was like, you all just let Adam Cole just stroll down here across the ring with no existence. It was so funny to point this out. That's so funny too. During the media scrim, uh, MJF was like, oh, no, I was sitting there watching that Hangman Sword match. It was wild. So it's like, it was clear like he was backstage the whole time. Yeah, he <laughs> like, was. I love those media scrims are just kind of like, we're going to break character now to like talk to you about things. Yeah, because they know the pay-per-view's over now. So I was like, okay, look, I'm, I was just uh, chilling back. Yeah, so MJF pulls up to save Adam Cole, being bros. Uh, Jay White is given a lot of control in this match because of MJF's injuries. He's an opportunist. He's doing what he can to hurt MJF and hurt the injury. He repeatedly mocks Adam Cole and at one point spits at him. Yeah, uh, they did mention... What got Adam Cole to, I guess, one of his positions earlier? It's like at Jay White took you know responsibility for you know concussing him during a match. So there's they're building on that history too. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of good selling of the leg though in this match. Like MJF's doing a really great job selling the injury. From what I understand, he does get a legitimate injury, nothing too major. Uh, during this match, it's probably from the elbow drop from the turnbuckle onto the broken table that Jay White's laying on. I think he dislocated his hip. They popped it back in during the match. So it was just kind of like, oh, this man actually got injured during this match and had to fight through like that discomfort a little bit. He's selling the injury and then gets legit injured right behind it. Yeah, uh, nothing that's going to require, nothing that's going to require time off though, but they are going to sell the storyline injury for a few weeks, according to what they were talking about. Uh, surprisingly good pace though back and forth like MJF is getting these little bursts of offense in to kind of slow the match down and stop Jay a little bit then we get to more of the overbooking I think that people say hurts Jay White but I think kind of falls in character 
for him a bit. Uh, Adam Cole hesitates to hit Jay White with the title when the ref's back is turned. Jay White takes it, tries to hit MJF. I think he does hit MJF with it. MJF yeah, kicks he out. MJF with it. He kicks out at a very late two, <laughs> which is uh, incredible. The crowd pops. He then gives him the diamond ring. Uh, or the guns eventually come out and beat the shit out of MJF a bit before I think they get ejected. Or they get ejected earlier and then they come back and beat him up. It's very bloodline. Yeah. Uh, very bloodline-ish. Uh, MJF hits Jay with the di- dynamite diamond ring. He wins. And people are mad about this. Because they think it's character assassination for Jay White. Because he had every opportunity and he still lost. And I'm going to counter that and say that this is perfectly in line with his character because he has not earned a world title yet. He has come into AEW. Yes, he has all his history. People are like, he's a star, star. Yes, he is. That's why he's wrestling for the world title. Yeah. But nothing in his career of AEW has shown that he can win when put to his own devices. Yeah, because he always he's always surrounded by Bullet Club Gold. And he always has Bullet very, Club Gold. He's he, he's, he's he, his character is supposed to be that of a slimy heel. Okay, they will win by any means necessary, meaning they will cheat, they will commit backhand actions to get the title off of somebody. When has that become a critical thing in pro wrestling? Yeah. So the thing is, I think that this is perfectly in line with Jay White's character. He has not done anything to prove that he has earned a slot. He has always won off the back of his faction. The same way that Roman that Roman Reigns wins off the back of the faction, but yet people ignore that. Like, I don't. I can't even think of the first the any time that Roman had a clean win since becoming undisputed. Champion, it's always been on the back of his teammates. And when Jay White loses those teammates, he loses. That's the normal wrestling logic. Like it's the same logic that's been applied in applied in pro wrestling for the last 40 or so odd years. When the I top heel is the problem now. When the top when a heel loses his friends that helps him wins, he, he lo- loses. People remember, he'll- I think people are forgetting that Tony Khan books very classically. Yeah, where it's, heels always have an advantage when they have their group or some other thing around them. It's just like a thing. It's like, let's say tomorrow, let's say tomorrow night, since it's Tuesday when we're recording this, they post Orange Cassidy versus Serpenico versus Der- uh, versus Wheeler Yuta. Who do you think is in that match just to take the pin? Serpenico. Serpenico. They'll be like, why? Serpenko didn't earn a storyline thing. Yes, so him taking the pinfall makes sense story-wise. He has done nothing to elevate himself to that point. The thing is, people are like, what's all these random matchups? Like, why is John Moxley wrestling Phoenix this week? Because Moxley needs a win. He's not feuding with Phoenix, and Phoenix is just there to take the pin. It's a very classic wrestling strategy that people have forgotten about. They did this very 80s, early 90s stuff, guys. Like, Tony you, books you, you, very 80s. It's like, people are like, why is this person randomly thrown into this match? They are going to take the pin. 
because the feud between A and B is weakened when B loses this early. Mm -hmm. So somebody else is going to take the pin to protect the challenger, but make sure the champion still looks strong. This is the work of jobbers. People forget that that's actually a term. That's not something the internet wrestling community came up with. That is the actual job of people like Serpenico and Luther and all these D-list, you know, lower level guys who just show up to lose because they need somebody to take a pinfall without fucking up the other competitors. Exactly. And I think years and years of just having WWE has made people forget about that. Because that's pretty much all what WWE did for the last, you know, between what? 2001 and 2019 well, we I had that or we had that whole time period where wwe kind of warped people's thinking about how wrestling is supposed to be they're like no this is going back to the classic stuff from the 80s and 90s well stuff we grew up with and yeah it doesn't tra- it doesn't translate well to modern audiences or at least they think it don't because they haven't witnessed you know some of these things wwe has started doing it recently too i will give yeah. them that they do it with the judgment day Watch any Judgment Day match where J.D. McDonald is in the match. He takes the pin because you can't have Finn take the pin. You can't have Damian Priest take the pin. You don't want want your faces to take the pin either. You want your faces to win. So you throw in either Dom or you throw in J.D. Most of the time it's J.D. that takes the pin. Yeah, we call that the heater guy. Okay, that's what he does. Yeah, like it's there are roles in wrestling. It's not just I am a wrestler. It's like, what is my job in this structure? Mm-hmm. Like if I was a wrestler, I probably I don't have the charisma to talk on the microphone. I would hope that I have enough in-ring ability to make my opponent look strong. I would be more than happy saying, hey, you're going to wrestle him tonight. You're going to go out there, get 10 minutes. You're going to lose. So he looks strong. I'd be like, you got it. That's my job here. Like, not everybody can be in the title picture. Not everybody can be a top star. You have to have guys that know that they have, work for you to lose. You like, got to have enhancement talent. That was the Hardy. That was the Hardy boys. They were enhancement talent. And then they eventually like, hey, you've done enough for this company. Let's start giving you some limelight. You have to have guys like Serpanico. You have to have a bottom list of guys who can take losses Make the other people look good, and that's it. That's it. And it's it's very simple stuff to understand. So, but in this case, the the heel of the match, Jay White, did not have his friends that usually help him win with him, so he lost. It is very, very logical booking. Now, the road from point A to the finish of that match was kind of convoluted. You could just have kept MJF at the arena and then shown him like, no, I'm going to wrestle tonight. You didn't have to do the ambulance thing. Yeah. That like, was a little local book. Yeah. Like that. It was a little overbooked getting to it, but everything from the start of that MJF match to the end is completely logical. I just want people to stop thinking that it's not because they're so, they have all these preconceived notions. Like I saw, I was like, Jay white is buried. It's like, he is absolutely not buried. Because Jay, Jay White can White wrestle is, anybody else on that roster and probably win. Because Jay White is still top talent. That's what people seem to forget. 
top talent just don't get buried in one match. Okay, yeah. there's a reason that we have these matches and then they set up the way they are. We have okay? tearless. Like, yeah, you, Jay White is easily upper B, lower A tier. He's always going to be near the title picture. But yes, people cannot always get the win. That's why 50-50 yeah, booking every hurts everybody because it's like we, neither of you look stronger. No, neither of you look like a legitimate threat if it's 50-50. And that's a lot of the reason that WWE in those years leading up to AEW's debut was so bland because there was 50-50 booking all over the place. And yeah. nobody came out of it any better. Okay? You got to have things structured the way they are. Okay? Jay White will eventually win the world title, but it's just not time for him to do so yet. Now, if Jay White had won, had lost every feud, I would agree that maybe they're not using him great. But if I remember correctly, he beat Ricky Starks in their feud. Yeah. He joined up with the guns, got them over. I think they were they were beating FTR. Like his road to this has been successful. It's just when it gets to the main the top prize and he doesn't have his lackeys, he loses like the heel he is. So I think it's fine there. I do think the road getting to this match was a little bit overbooked. I don't think you had to do an ambulance spot. I don't think you had to say Adam Cole's not clear to tag wrestle, but he's clear to wrestle for MJF in the main event. Like you didn't have to have Adam Cole in the ring at the start of this match. You could have done you know, a story. You could have done more storyline thing where Adam Cole's like, "No, Max, you can do this. You can go out there. You can wrestle." And it's like playing the seeds of, is he trying to hurt MJF more? Mm-hmm. Like. There was better ways to go about it. So I agree the overbooking is getting to the match, but I don't think this match is the burial that the internet wrestling community is claiming it is. Yeah, I just think it's a massive overreaction right now. And I think the internet is. wrestling community just needs to chill out a little bit and yeah. have a little patience in seeing where these stories need to go. Yeah. And the thing is like oh. they're so used to stories being wrapped the thing I don't I don't even know if they're used to stories being wrapped up because stories don't get wrapped up in WWE for fucking months. No, they don't. But like feuds in AEW can go anywhere between a few weeks to a year, mm-hmm. you know, and as long as they can keep it interesting and then they keep the history. So it's just like, but there's always different stuff in between. It's not just another week of, I want to check. We should probably check that for the, for our survivor series episode. I want to know yeah. how many SmackDown and Raw episodes had a main event of the Cody faction versus Judgment Day in the last I know like Judgment four, Day late uh, the last I four know, months. I want to see how many weeks was that main event. Like, like for the last I want two to see. or three months has been Judgment Day. Yeah, from Survivor Series to four months back, I want to see how many nights the main event was Cody's team versus Judgment Day. And you can understand why I like having my action figure wrestling federation because I want to see different matchups more often. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we've been rambling for about an hour and a half now. So yeah, I like this the show. A, I like this the was show. a strong. Pay, this was a strong pay per view. It really was. This is another thing of you should have time to let your stories grow to a natural conclusion. If. The Cody thing and Judgment Day lasted two months and then finished up at War Games or something like that. I'd understand that, and then they just move on. But I know for a fact that after War Games, they're also going to be together, and then it's going to be like Randy has issues with Jay, and now Drew McIntyre is thrown in, so now they're going to have a feud there, and it's going to continue again for another few months. And I'm just like, no, <laughs> like just stop, please. 
But fortunately, fortunately for WWE, we're heading right to the Royal Rumble because that is about a month and a half away. And I think they're going to start pushing some of the storylines that will culminate at WrestleMania 40. So, you know, how I can't excited, wait to see what they do there. You know how excited I am for Sunday on Twitter? Because it's either going to be the fun, it's going to be one of the funniest places on the planet if CM Punk shows up or if CM Punk doesn't show up. Oh, it's going to be fucking hilarious. It's, I can't wait. Whichever happens, Twitter is going to be hilarious on Sunday, and I cannot Twitter, wait. Wrestling Twitter is going to explode on Sunday, and I want to be here for all of those tweets when that yeah. happens. And, yeah, we'll see if he is Shinsuke's opponent that he's been calling out. I'm just Man. like, really? You're going to have him come back right into Shinsuke? Yeah. Instead of just throwing him into something else. Are you fucking kidding me? I would be surprised if he came back. I I'd really be, would. I'd be shocked if he did. So, you know, but we'll have to see. Maybe, you, but you know, WWE's under new management. You know, maybe you they're willing they, to work with people they didn't before. You see that they're trying to get Okada? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. Okada's not going to step foot in that promotion. It's like that man's like absolutely not. The last time I was in an American promotion, they had me as the fucking Green Hornet's bodyguard. <laughs> like, yeah, it's Samoa Joe. Yeah, they had him as a Kato. <laughs> and I was like, so I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, no, no, absolutely not. I think they're even Triple H is not going to land Okada or Julia or anybody like that. I don't think they have the pool that they think they do anymore. But. We'll see. And yeah. I know that Saturday is going to be fun. Sunday is going to be hilarious. And then we get to talk about it again with Deca. He'll actually be watching it. So we'll have to see. But for now, we've been kind of rambling uh, for an hour or 40. So we're going to end this episode here. Right. And all that. So if you guys are listening to this on Spotify. Uh, there will be the little audio tag uh, at the end where you can figure out where to listen to us and follow us on like Twitter and all that watching this on youtube thank you all for watching it will go to the end screen like it normally does all of our links are down in the description x thank you for joining me tonight on this impromptu two man as you hear my, to be here as you hear my throat's already going so i need to end this <laughs> right but we'll see you all uh next week with our survivor series episode and then i think that is it until the end of december where we get world's end so, yeah, two episodes back-to-back and then a few weeks before the next one. So, hopefully that'll hold you guys over. But yeah, we'll see you guys later. Take care, everybody. See you later. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Squared Triangle. Find us wherever you get your podcasts under the Without Context Podcast. Find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash at WC Network.